about build an environment of pursuing curiosity. You know who you are, who you really are. Like <laughs> you are listening to Everyday Educators on 1921 Radio. Everyday Educators, and we educate every day. And welcome back, loved ones. This is the Everyday Educators podcast, where we educate every day. I am Jeremy, your hostess with the mostest, and the always beautiful, looking like the first day of school, nice and greasy, Naomi. What's up, Nay? Nothing. What's up? How are you? Um, As Trey Song says, just trying to make it. (laughs) I went out for... uh... Aren't we all? (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, happy birthday, Russ. It's my 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 friend's uh, Russ's birthday, and so we were out fellowshipping late in the evening. evening. What? Not that late. I just couldn't sleep when I got home, so I watched the episode of Charmed. I'm in the I'm in the Charmed universe right now. Oh, so. I, I would not have guessed you were you were in the charm universe. I was like, next you're gonna tell me you're a Swifty or something, and then see that's all a lot. of the things in my it will explode. Now listen, blank space is my guilty pleasure, <laughs> but that's the only Taylor Swift song I know. But you know that case. That's only you admit to knowing. No, no, no. I'll be what? honest. I'll be honest. I I would lie. You know what I'm saying? You know, if it was in sync, I can't wait for that reunion tour. You know, but. I know I'm not I'm not too familiar with her catalog. Um, but folks who are listening, you can catch us every Saturday at 9 a.m. on 1921radio.com. And of course, listen to us on YouTube and wherever you can find uh, your podcast, Everyday Educators. And don't forget the S and make sure you like and subscribe. Now, for our guest today, I wrote a little... I wrote a little something. It may sound familiar. It may sound familiar, you know. Uh, what do they say? If you know it, sing along. We real cool. We left school. We lurk late. We strike straight. We sing sin. We ugh, think then. We jazz June. And we die song. I messed it up in the middle, but snap, 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 snap. Shout out to Gwendolyn Brooks. Obviously, I didn't come up with that, but... I met her in person in third grade. Really? She she was a poor laureate of Illinois, and in third grade, we did a poetry unit, and she came to our classroom uh, and read some of her poems and listened to some of our terrible poems, but yes, third grade. (laughs) Oh, do you remember your terrible poem? Oh, of course not. But big steps to the 80s, you know, when you still meet your, you know, heroes and heroes and sheroes. (laughs) That's when they was around. I always hated the poetry unit every year in ELA. I'm like, why we got to do this? No, we had to memorize a poem every month. Yeah, we did too. But there was also like a unit of ELA or language arts where it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to focus on poetry for like the next three or four weeks. And I would always be like, no, get me out of here. I hate Who knew that they was a poet hater? (laughs) That's crazy. We learn something every day, man. But let me finish with my introduction. I said I said that poem because this woman is cool as a cucumber. She is Chatham's finest. 
and she handles the shmoney. Today on the Everyday Educators Podcast, we have Miss Nicole Kenner. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, for having me. I am excited to be here. Beautiful, beautiful. With the fresh curls, look at that. You just swoop on in. I love it. How's everybody doing this morning? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, it's coming off of a heck of a week and got mm-hmm. more work to do when I'm done with y'all. Keep it moving. Likewise, likewise. So I recently rewatched a movie called The Blackening. Has anybody seen it? Is that the one with the horror movie? They're stuck in the they're stuck in the uh, house, and then mm-hmm. I wanted to see it because it looked hilarious. Is it? Okay. okay, so I I won't give my full review, <laughs> but I will say after rewatching it, I feel much differently than I did the first time. Really? Ah, see? See, Nate, look at the face. So has that ever happened to you all? Like, you watch a movie, or you watch a show, and then you come back to it later, and then it's like, this isn't how I remembered it, either good or bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk about it. I'm just trying to think of one. Well, I tried to, you know, I was, I tried to rewatch The Wiz recently because it's one of those where I have so many, I think I have so many childhood memories of it. But when I was watching it, I was like, I don't remember this at all. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember that happening. So, you know, I think it's like a little bit of a transference. It's just like kind of part mm-hmm. of the milieu when you were, mm-hmm. when I was little and people always were referencing it. So I thought maybe I had seen it. Don't take my black card. But I don't know that I actually did see it because it really wasn't. Because I mean, I think like I've seen like one or two scenes, and so like it's totally reframing. Because you know, it's important. It's like the 50th anniversary, and then they're re-releasing it and everything. And then it's like I think it's on. Um, is it the, they're doing a new stage production? Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's like the. I mean, granted, like the blackening only came out a few months ago, and this is also like difference of like 30 years between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More like 40 years when I thought I saw it now and then, but I think it's like just like the popular imagination of something mm. tends to take over your actual memory of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the but, popular yeah. imagination. Ooh, see, that was a little real poetic, Nay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not against poetry, I'm just saying for myself, I <laughs> am not interested in writing it. No, 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 I'm just you know, give you a hard time. Um, all right, I, you, you got me. I didn't like the black and ink, but after watching it, I had I had a little more uh, a stronger take. But it wasn't I wasn't a fan. But after watching it, it was better. And I just I said that because I never liked the Wiz. I tried to watch that a couple times, and I'm like, this ain't this ain't it for me. You can't take my black card, but. Well, I, I mean, you're of, a certain, you are of that generation. So, I mean, I understand the distance. You know what? We're not, gonna have, we're not standing for any ageism over here, okay? Well, you know, my life, my life is built on ageism. <laughs> Being a child of the 90s is part of my identity. And so I it is the it is the glass in which I'm going to see all I, things through. Okay. All right. All right. So we're just going to move on 
to our first segment, Actual Factual. Actual Factual. Yes, and it will come a little more explain to what that is for those of you who are new to the show. Um, but all across America, it is a time of year on college campuses. It is homecoming season. Now, do any of you have a memorable homecoming experience? I remember like <laughs> almost going on tour. Almost on a tour. Please do tell. Well, I, I went to Chicago State. So back then, I think since they changed it, but back then since Chicago State didn't have a football team, they wouldn't do our homecoming until February off of our basketball team. Same so with me. Like not oh. the same. So I had friends that went to other schools. And the first year, I lived at home when I was in school. So the first year, my mom was like, absolutely not. You can't go anywhere. But then sophomore year came around. And I was like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going. So I went to see my other friends at their schools for homecoming. Um, and that was a lot of fun. So yeah. I, I enjoyed it. That's the tour. Yeah. I felt like I got a, a good balance of both worlds. Like when at home, I was like a computer student. And I worked and went to school. And lived at home and lived like a, re a really regular life. And then like, I got to go visit my friends at different schools and really got to see like what their campus was like and the parties and all that stuff. So I had a good time. Okay. And, okay. and what about your uh, black history homecoming you had? <laughs> at Chicago State? No, no, no. I was asking Nicole. Oh, okay. She said it was in February. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to shoot you some bad. I, mean, I know we really didn't. <laughs> We really didn't do much for it, but I had a similar experience. I went to grad school at University of Michigan. I went to like a school with no football team for undergrad. Then I went to grad school at the University of Michigan. Oh, and wow. I was like, yeah. what, what, is what, is, oh, what is this? What is all that is happening right now? What is, you know, the, the mayhem that is Michigan football? I was not, I was not a fan. Well, I mean, mostly I wasn't a fan of being in that old, broke down stadium with all the people and no way out, and like two ways out but you know uh so i think that colored the experience for me but for the most part uh and it's just you know it's just, it was a it was i realized that i chose the right kind of experience for me mm. i didn't love the college town i didn't love that experience maybe if i had done it for undergrad you know when you're a teenager versus you know when i was a thought I was a full grown woman, that I would have appreciated it differently than I did at that phase of my life. But um, but I did, I did the same thing. Nate. I went to visit my sister in New Hampshire for homecoming. I went to visit my friend in St. Louis for homecoming. I was in Atlanta, so I did kind of do a little bit of the uh, of the uh, UAC mm -hmm. uh, homecoming over there, you know, with the court and all of the, that. So I mean, it's just, it was just different. It was just different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 but I, I felt comfortable as if I had chosen right after mm. I had school experience. Yeah, I didn't feel like I missed anything. Right. So it was, it was cool. Okay. Well, I had the full HBCU experience. It was, I didn't even make it to the football game. I put it like that. We were just so wonderful. Um, but also, I was a part of the homecoming court. So as a freshman, I was elected as Mr. Marine Science 
for those of you who don't know, I went to school for marine biology. And so I had a tux and when they would did the little ball, I like I rented a tux and and uh, maybe I'll find a picture and I'll throw it I was going to say, right where are the pictures? There's a picture of me and my roommate. Um, and I had on my, my tux, you know, for the homecoming uh, ball. So it was, uh, it was great. It was great. It was, it was really, really nice. Um, and everybody needs an HBCU experience. It was really good. Um, did any of you work, like, on campus or work study? I work next door to my. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you worked at the DMV. Um, I had two work study jobs that I okay. did not take seriously. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I it's work study. Huh? It's work study. Right. And did not, I was like the recycling coordinator for my dorm. I didn't recycle very much. Um, and then in very like going with my personality, because uh, my nickname in high school was Woman in the 90s, because I was a strong black feminist. Um, I worked for the Women's Center at oh. school, but that was getting in the way of all the other things I was trying to do. So I didn't last <laughs> there either. And that was the extent of my working in college. Yeah, I, I, I had a bunch of jobs. I did some, I don't know what it was called, but we did some like researching work out in Hampton. And then when I transferred to uh, Eastern, I had some job again that I didn't take seriously. And then I stopped going to and they kept paying me. So I was like, oh, okay. Cool. You know, I mean, that's that, that, that the college dream. I think that, like, we all pray to the college gods that Listen, some magnet, something like that amazing will be bestowed upon us. <laughs> I stopped going, and then I was like, oh, they're still <laughs> direct deposit? I'm like, hey, I took it. I took my blessing. Right. Um, and so this topic about campus work um, brings us to our actual factual which is a segment where we cover some topics, you know, headlines that are in the broader world of education, right? And so early this week, I was reading Wall Street Journal, and I came across a article that uh, <clears throat> is discussing undergraduate student employees at some institutions, Harvard, University of Oregon, et cetera, who are organizing unions, yeah, undergraduate unions. Um, <laughs> so unionizing uh, will aid students in establishing collective bargaining power to negotiate better working conditions and increased wages. Nicole, I see the wheels turning. Any th mm -hmm. thoughts right now? Any thoughts? Um, yeah, in general, uh -huh. I am a supporter of unions. Mm -hmm. um, 85% of the time. 85? Is 85. this in the 15%? Well, that's a long, that's a longer stretch, but <laughs> I'm just trying, I mean, I've been out of college for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I will admit this. 20 plus years. So I can imagine that many things have changed. But when I think back on the jobs that were available for undergrads, for work study, I'm trying to think of 
like how they were onerous enough to kind of warrant unionization. You know, I mean, are they really, I mean, maybe they are really taking advantage of undergrads. I mean, you know, this is late stage capitalism we're talking about. They take advantage of everything and everybody when they can. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I mean, I guess I just, I would want to know what specifically are they uh, organizing for? Because also, you know, I'm gonna put on my auntie hat. These young folk Uh have uh, what I think are sometimes unrealistic expectations for things Mm -hmm. commiserate with where they are in life. Uh, How grand of an expectation of a work study job do you have? Do you want like benefits, vacation? Like, I mean, you know, it's work study. But it's probably only like 15, 18 hours a week. You know, so I mean, like I said, I'm out the mix. They may have very real and legitimate things that they could benefit from collective bargaining, but it seems as if I don't know. That's like a I don't okay. Know. All right. That's my this isn't, this isn't the final, you know, end all be all. That's my okay. initial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say before Nate, you jump in, I appreciate the the vocabulary onerous. Just a little. <laughs> you know, point for you. Now, what are you about to say, Nay? I was just going to say, unionizing makes me like, how long do you plan to be there? Like, you're in, you're there <laughs> only for a short time to, like, get to that next step in your life. So, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I just don't, that seems like a lot for, uh, uh, to your point, again, like, there could be very real things, very serious things that um, is necessary for this effort, but it's also, like, you're not gonna be there that long anyway and it's 15 it's typically like 20 hours or less a week yeah. at the at max right mm-hmm. and most people, most people hang out around 12 hours you know they do two or three days or three hours or four hours mm-hmm. um oh and well i did not have a work study job but from what i knew from other people it seemed like really low like i'm the receptionist in the women's institute building like I filed the papers. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. I also have not been in college um, for quite some time, but those jobs from what I knew were also seemed like really um, like low maintenance. So that also makes me wonder like, what what are the expectations here? And how long do you plan to- That's the word I should have used, Nate, was expectations. It seems like maybe the expectations for what mm-hmm. one should expect from a work study job is a little out of what. All great points. Most of that we're not going to cover, and it's the rest of the story. <laughs> um, but so they are taking their um, inspiration, if you will, from graduate student unions, which have been around six to sixties, right? Historically, they were at uh, they were exclusive to public institutions. Then, beginning in the two thousands, they've kind of expanded to some private institutions. I'm currently uh, getting messages. So currently there are about a dozen institutions whose undergraduate undergraduate student workers are lobbying for unions. Um, So you all kind of touched on it a little bit. And I guess I can ask you, Nicole, since you had a, a campus job, like how accommodating 
was the job for your class schedule? Extremely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I went to a fancy school, and so they knew what our um, main priority was, and they knew what everybody's main priority was, was for, mm -hmm. you know, to be around class. So it was 1,000% accommodating of that. I mean, there were jobs on campus that had more less flexibility and, mm -hmm. you know, more set schedules and probably more hours, and I deliberately didn't choose any <laughs> of those. Uh, but, yeah, it was super accommodating. Uh, yeah. I think that was just an interesting point because that was my first thought was when you said you when you said unions and I was and, I, and you said undergrad and I was like wait a minute undergrads are you know grad students who are you know actually kind of is more of a intensive time commitment I totally understand why they and they are and I will put hands down they are some of the most used and abused folks on college campuses right next to adjuncts you know they are in school they get paid very little, they usually just have a housing stipend and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I'm just trying to compare the uh, reality of the lived existence between those two different groups of people. And they are vastly different in my experience. But again, it's been a long time. So, you know, things could be creeping, creeping together in the middle. Who knows, who knows? Um, now, unsurprisingly, many university admin are against this endeavor. And um, they're stating that the relationship between the institution and the students are focused on the student's education. And, and unionizing, listen, I'm just reading my notes, okay? <laughs> and unionizing will shift the nature of that relationship and could negatively impact both parties. And so, you know, they're standing on that perspective. That this is, sounds like watch, rinse, repeat of NIL, how they are student yeah. athletes first and how that, you know, bringing anything else into the relationship. Whenever somebody whenever somebody wants to shut down a discussion, they always want to fall back to the integrity of the initial mm -hmm. relationship or mm -hmm. something like that. That's that's always a red herring. That's always just to uh, try to silence somebody. I mean, it's what attack it on the merits. But don't don't like reduce it back to that you know everybody whether it's sports whether it's in this situation everybody's looking at bottom lines the students are looking at their bottom lines university's looking at their bottom line the athletes are looking at their bottom line the ad's in these sports departments are looking at their bottom line and anything that threatens the individual's bottom line is also going to be like antenna to what they want to engage in so mm -hmm. I, that that is complete corporate speak bs to me just tell you know that that's trying to that's, that's really trying to dress up uh we don't want to spend any more money because the universities don't spend as much money anyway they get a lot of the money they get for work study is from the federal government that's part of your student aid package that part so it's not like they are coming out of pocket they don't want the dynamic mm. of that to change the dynamics are in their favor they get a subsidized student to do some things mm. and they might have to kick in because the, because the federal government ain't changing that their level of of, of support for work study. So that means the university would have to kick in some money on top of the federal, or on top of, or in addition, more money than they already are. Mm -hmm. That's what that's about. Maybe, you know, universities need to be audited how they spend their money. Ah, they are. You see what I, you see how? They are audited, they are audited every year. All, you know, all public, all, all universities, period. Anything that, any, yeah, they're, they're audited. But I mean, an audit says that like, no one. No, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. Not yet, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Oh my God, this. 
we call that foreshadowing. Okay. Um, <laughs> now on the student side, right? So advocates state that um, the working conditions across the campus are not equitable in various departments um, and that the pay. So some of the students who have brought light to this are highlighting how the pay differential for different jobs in different departments and like the working conditions. It didn't get too specifics on what working conditions mean, but you know, there was a, they experienced a lack of equity. So that is what they're standing on. Um, and they also uh, highlight, excuse me, yeah, they also highlight that the pandemic brought forth, you know, the true number of students whose livelihood is dependent on their work study income and greater protections are needed for those students. So, you know, again, it's not without merit, right? Uh, but more to come on that. There hasn't been any um, unions established for undergraduate students yet, but it is a, a topic that is moving forward and, you know, we'll keep an eye on, right? Okay, so Miss Kenner, we are starting a new segment today, and you are going to be the guinea pig. Oh, okay. Maybe right. you have, you got your questions ready? The ones I sent you? Yeah, they're in the document. Oh, I know, I know you were looking at it. I know, oh. I know if you were looking at your phone. Okay, cool. Oh. So we'll, I'll kick it off. We can just go back and forth. So these are, this question, this segment is called Pop Quiz. It's just, you know, rapid fire questions. Okay. First thing to come to your mind. Okay. Now I have an I have an expected answer for this. If you disappoint me, you know. <laughs> There's only one answer for this. You could have shared the you could have shared the sheet with me too, and I would have been prepared and you would have got no, the no, answer no. you wanted. No, no. This is this is there's only one answer. So let's let's lock in, let's synchronize. All right. Who would play you in your life story? Come on. Who would play me in my life story? Well, since well, maybe now I'm older, it doesn't happen as often. But uh, back in the day, I used to get stopped on the street, and all every time she had a movie out was Miss Carrie Washington. There we go. There we every go. Day, baby. Every day, all day. Number one answer. I had you know I never watched Scandal because I was told so often how much I looked like her. So that I, I mean, I can't, I can't claim nobody else but that. There you go. Okay, cool. See, bam. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Nay, go ahead. Describe yourself in one word. Curious. Mm. What was your favorite subject in school? Biology. Oh. Okay. What is your favorite type of music? See, this is a loaded question, especially coming from Mr. Rembrandt. <laughs> even though you asked this, he set you up. He, you asked it. Um, I really don't listen to music. Um, so. Yo, no, stop. Flag on the play. Yo, Nate. I didn't even know this feature had on the phone. On your AirPods, you can listen to like white noise. 
I I don't know how I was, I'm I like what are you listening to? And it was just like <laughs> I was like, you are a demon. What is that? <laughs> oh man, not that, hours. not that I don't enjoy music. It's just that and like and, it, and now that I'm like, oh God, turn it off when I hear it. It's just that like I feel like I don't have time to fit anything else into all of the things that I already do and listen to. And I would much rather listen to like a podcast or news than to music. So I, I mean, I guess if you back this back to your question, the short answer is like old school R and B. And like when I say old school, I mean like from the seventies. Okay, Donna Summers, I see you. That's more. Can disco, I ask a question? Like, go for it. Have you always been like this, or is this like? a recent development in your adult life. It is, well, I honestly, my parents didn't really listen to music. Oh. So I didn't really grow up with, I mean, like I listened to music. I mean, I was a teenager and we kind of did it a little bit, but like my, I didn't really have like a culture of music around me. And so it just never really took root. And um, yeah. Okay. All right. So this should be an interesting question. What's the best concert you've been to? The best concert I've been to, it probably comes down to two. Uh, I went to a Sade concert once. Mm. The one she did her, la- her last one was about 10 years ago, which was quite choice. And then the original Lauren Hill Miseducation mm. tour was when I was in college. Before she, she was on time, Mm. He <laughs> didn't go off into crazy tangents. So that was a really good concert, too. What a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. One subject you would like to learn more about. That's interesting. Actually, it's gardening. Oh. I want to learn how to vegetable garden. Okay. Is what I have. Yeah. Nice. I thought about that this morning when I was undoing my hair. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> What has been your favorite age so far? Right now, hands down, by far. Okay. That's what Jill Scott said. I'm not gonna say your age range, but uh, Jill Scott said, put out there. I'm between 40 and 45. And she <laughs> said, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward. Mm-hmm. But, and I would say that that is, particularly for women, I would say that it is, darn near universal among the women I know of my age too. Everybody says like right now, this is it. It's your, it's on you. Oh, sorry. Um, If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Like a thing period. I don't have to be like food or anything, just a thing. However you want to answer the question. Oh, I. (laughs) <laughs> an unlimited supply of warm beverages i love warm beverages i love tea i would like i'm always cold even in the summer if i could just like have like it's just like a like when i'm finished with one cup of tea and then like a conveyor belt delivers me another one perfectly made with all of my accoutrement in it and then i can just enjoy the next one that would be lovely okay all right where is one place you'd like to visit? 
one place I'd like to visit would be any place on the continent. I have not been to the continent yet. And hold on, because some people don't know. Okay. So you're gonna have to explain. The continent is <laughs> you know, I know, but they don't know. They may not know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, in Africa, I've not been any place in Africa, and um, I've had a number of friends who have gone recently and just discussed uh, the significance of the experience of just that inversion of culture, mm. that inversion of expectations that just has been profound for them. So that's what I would look forward to. We need. We gonna have a vocab test. I like. I like these. This. This. Uh, your vernacular, if you will. Okay. Go ahead. If you could be any am animal, what would it be? Oh my goodness! It would have to be an elephant. Mm, okay. Elephant. First of all, they're matriarchal. Second of all. <laughs> They are, they, they're, they travel in like such big packs and they're just like the trunk. Could you imagine just like being able to do everything and anything with that trunk? The, um, yeah, I don't know. I've always had an affinity for elephants. Okay. Pachyderm power. I'm with it. Mm -hmm. They communicate through the ground. They do. Like, they get vibrations and everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could just hear like good vibrations. Okay, um, if you could bring back one TV show for one more season, everybody in their prime, what show would you pick? Ooh, I might get my card revoked on this one. Um, uh, come on, come on. What would I bring back for one more season? Oh gosh, gotta be. Honestly, I think it might be Star Trek: The Next Generation. One of my favorite shows. One of my favorite shows. Best interview so far. <laughs> Can't even. We can stop right now. All right, y'all. This has been Everyday Educators. No, okay. Ooh, that's a great, great pick. Nay, bring us home. If you were to write a book, what would it be about? Um, it would be about coming into yourself. Like the the transformation of my life over the last five years has been profound. I am a completely different person. I won't say completely different. I am more truly myself today than I have ever been or honestly could ever dream of being. And I would love to share that journey so that other people, because I want everybody, even people I don't like, or even people who I end up not liking at the end of this. I think just everybody should have the gift of being their authentic self for some portion of their life. Mm. 
that was intense. <laughs> Myself. Okay. All right. So now we're on that note. We're going to transition to learn a little bit more about Miss Nicole. If we were to bring all of your elementary and high school teachers together in a room. Mm-hmm. Elementary and high school, not college. Is this elementary and high school? Okay. Mm-hmm. What type of student would they say you were? Engaged. Curious. Mm-hmm. Um, loud. I don't know. I, I, all three of us uh, probably went to CPS. I don't know. I'm, I'm presuming that for UNA. Uh, back mm-hmm. in the day. No. Well, I did for a little bit. Yeah, back really? in the day. Huh. Uh, we, in the 80s, we had on your report card, you know, you opened it up, it had the grades on one side, and the other side was the checks. Mm-hmm. And the checks were things that you had to improve on. They listed things. The number one check at the top of the checklist, and I can tell you why I remember it, was exercise and self-control. And I remember one year, my mother was like, Nikki, they are fighting for that box. Why are all your teachers fighting for that little bitty box to check exercise and self-control? Why can't you be quiet? Why can't you, you know, not um, say what you want and think and mean all the time? So that's, that's why hate. They, just, they, uh-huh. were just hating, they were just hating on a young player. That's all. Well, you know, I always, I, I, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't like disruptive, like fighting or anything like that. But it was just always like I always had something to say. Um, so I would say, yeah, engaged, curious. That's it. See, I didn't have those words at that time. See, Nate, I was just engaged. Exactly. Yeah. See, thank yeah. you, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate that. See, all right. So on that, let's go back in time. Let's go to the eighties. Mm-hmm. I can imagine you in like a little Adidas tracksuit, ready to break dance, <laughs> and you were, and you were on your way to Murray Language Academy. Indeed. Tell us about your time in Murray. Murray was great um, in that it was a very diverse school, and you know, obviously growing up in Chicago, Chicago being as segregated as it is, I always had. You know, I mean, I don't know how rich my experiences were up until the age of six, but like getting to, uh, getting to school and then being exposed to so many different kinds of people, um, was really awesome. I really enjoyed that. And then also, you know, the fact that it was a language academy, so we started a foreign language. I started French in kindergarten. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I took French for twelve years, and I can read it a lot better than I can speak it. At this Same. Same. Um, <laughs> and it was, a, it, was a, it was a really positive experience. It was a pretty small school. And I think actually more than, back to that original point, more than the school, going to school in Hyde Park was also very profound in, you know, experiences, exposure. So, you know, from the kids I was in school with, whether they be black, white, you know, Latino or Asian, you know, that those experiences broadened out from there. And then because I think the school was where it was, was why I had th- that many experiences. So that was, you just said elementary, you want to talk about high school? You, oh, so we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Just um, elementary. So yeah, that was, it was, that was, it, it provided, it set the foundation mm-hmm. for many of the things that were springboards. 
okay. in the next uh, iterations. That's now, cool. while we're here at Murray, mm-hmm. you went to school with a, another podcast alumni, Mr. Craig Stevenson. Yes. Any 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 early memories of Craig and Corey hasn't been on the show yet, but talk about the boys. What do you? Well, they remember. were late. They were latecomers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. most of us have been there since kindergarten. They came in like sixth or seventh grade or something like that. Mm. And um, they were a little. They were uh, definitely a package. <laughs> um, they, they they were a package, and they were they were mischievous. But no, they uh they I remember, yeah now I remember them very well. In that okay. time. All right. So you know then you're your life took a turn for the worse. And unfortunately, you made the decision to become a dolphin. Oh my goodness. The dolphin so slander how is, we must endure listen, is just listen, beyond. Listen, I mean. I am going to toe the line here. <laughs> so how did you get to Whitney Young? And were there any other schools that you considered or did everyone else reject you and you just had to go there? Like, tell us. So I, I mean, my sister preceded me. I have a sister who's two years older and she actually did the academic center there. So she was there okay. in eighth grade and then high school. And quite honestly, I had a lot of learning difficulties as a kid. And um, oh. so it was either Whitney Young or private school for oh, me. Wow. And um, one of my parents decided they were not going to pay for private school. So it was Whitney Young or Whitney Young. And <laughs> <laughs> now was your was your stepmother there at the time already? Yes, yeah, she was. She was oh, assistant okay. principal. Ah, um, so how was that? I mean, it was fine. Okay. I. It was it was it was of nominal mm-hmm. um, effect for me until she suspended me my senior year. Talk about it. What'd you do? <laughs> so this was the roaring nineties, and mm-hmm. I was one of the few folks who had a cell phone. And I had, and this is back in the day when cell phone and pager in cps equal drug dealer yes here's my mom saying that means uh only drug dealers have cell phones listen yeah so this is this is our jada pinkett this is our jada pinkett moment when nicole reveals to us she was serving those pounds at whitney young talk about it i just had a very overprotective mother and she was trying to coordinate my sister and i driving and all the picking up and activities and things and I, you were not even allowed to bring them into the school. It, like just to have them in school in the nineties was, you could get suspended. So I, she knew I had it. My mother, stepmother knew I had it. But so by this time she was the principal. So this is my senior year. She was the principal by, by then. And it rang when I was in gym class and me, and Mr. F, I won't say his full name, me and Mr. F, he hated me and I hated him. And when that cell phone rang in gym class, he got a smile across his face because he knew he had me. And he walked over and he picked up my purse and he was like, whose is this? Anyway, so I got sent to the principal's office and I got suspended for two days. But I was already accepted to college. And so it was just kind of like a two day vacation. 
<laughs> One day we're gonna talk about all the teachers that hated on us back in the day. Oh. Not 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 today, but we're gonna have a that was actually he's the only one. He's the only person he But yeah, everybody has one. Everybody has one. He couldn't they stand me and I can't stand him. But you are also a, a Emory Eagle. I didn't know that's what their mascot was. Yeah, so like, people who go there probably don't know that that's their mascot either. I think his name is Dooley. I was like, oh, this is No, terrible. no, Dooley. Okay, so that's the thing. Dooley and the Eagle are two very separate things. The Eagle is our mascot. Dooley is the spirit of Emory. And is he, he the white man that died? Like, is he the ghost? He is a well, he's a skeleton. And this is like a secret. <laughs> he's a secret. <laughs> he is a ghost. <laughs> It's a secret society at Emory. So if you were like, you know, one of the prominent seniors, you get inducted into the secret society and members of that secret society get to dress up as Dooley in the skeleton outfit at various functions, like various important functions, like graduation and homecoming and like- Skeletons at graduation? He is the spirit of Emory. So you- Did you take a blood oath? Nicole, is this? I was I was in a secret society too, not that one. I was in another secret society that I had no business being in, y'all. I just all I can think about, you know how on TV when you see them like come up behind the person and put the hood over their head and then they like in the basement with a cloak. That's what I think about when I think of I don't know. I don't know about the duly secret society. My secret society wasn't that wild, but uh we did have our own little rituals and, and things and that we did, and we still we're still supposed to uh, go to um, campus every year for homecoming. I haven't been in a number of years, but yeah. So that's oh. yes. So so Emory Eagles and, and Dooley in the spirit of Emory, yes. I'm I'm taken aback, but so other than joining a secret society, like. How else was your time at Emory, I guess? <laughs> uh, it was it was more enlightening. Um, I played rugby for three years and I traveled like all over the South in, you know, doing rugby tournaments and playing. And so that was very cool. Um, I mean, Emory was great. Emory is a country club. Emory is, <laughs> I mean, really it is. Like they plant millions of tulips all spring and dig them up and plant them over again. And I mean, it was, it's a very uh, wealthy, well-resourced school that, you know, provided, you know, I think that's what just, it provided a, exactly what I needed Provided a very soft, structured, well-protected experience. Um, and, but I mean, honestly, if I look back overall, I'm really getting I'm really thinking a lot about the cost of a college education and what's worth it and what's not. Um granted I got a lot of help through, you know, scholarships, financial aid, all the things, but do I think do, do I encourage young would I encourage a young person to take on the level of debt or cost for that education nowadays? Probably not. Probably not. I would definitely, I would definitely encourage them to pursue the highest quality education for the lowest cost they can get, particularly right. for particularly for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And that is that is not to say that anything negative happened for me there at yeah. all. 
Although I will plug Emory for a second where, you know, there's a lot of the um, higher income schools are now either completely covering the cost of undergraduate education or capping loans at a really low rate of like 10, 20 or $30,000. Emory was the first university to start that more than 15 years ago. So you don't, I think they have, they've pledged that no one graduates from Emory with more than $30,000 of debt now or something like that. And they completely cover, I mean, and I think, you know, private school tuition now is, some, is somewhere north of $70,000, $75,000. So, um, you know, others have taken it and gone even further with it. You know, I, I know some of the more elite East Coast schools, they do, they do no loans, but, you know, so you can, I mean, you manage it, but like, it was a great experience. It was a great education. Um, I just like probably most of the college students I knew I didn't take it full advantage of it. If I could do it again, I would do it a lot differently, but. Mm -hmm. As we all, as mm -hmm. we all would. Yep. Um, so we're gonna pivot a little bit. Mm -hmm. So now you are an accomplished accountant and auditor. But before that, you spent some time in the restaurant business. I did, 10 years. So kind of what brought you to that industry? And then like what made you decide to change your career path? Well, I, my first career was in politics. I used to work on Capitol Hill oh. for three years uh, doing research in healthcare, energy, oversight investigations. If you guys remember, <laughs> my first week on the Hill was the Enron hearings. So I was like... Bloop, drop in the middle of that. I was, I was, I, I worked for a committee that had like really broad jurisdiction. So I was like, I was like, I had like a side row seat to some of like the greatest political things of the early 2000s. So um, I don't know if you guys remember the Firestone controversy when the, when tires mm -hmm. were, I've staffed that hearing. I did, I was there, I was watching for Enron, the Patients' Bill of Rights um like just a really amazing amount the first election controversy gore bush i staffed that hearing um just an amazing amount of like i remember when i when i was leaving the hill to go to graduate school my sister was like dude i'm not gonna know what's going on for real anymore because every time <laughs> you know, i tell you like something's happening you're like no 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 that's not what happened this is what really happened <laughs> she was like i'm not gonna know what really happened anymore but it's a it's, it's funny our um press secretary used to say the hill was is the largest collection of overeducated underpaid people in the world and it truly is i mean i'll never be around that kind of that hive mind of intelligence probably mm. ever again because i mean it's just like any um rare commodity it has such prestige people are willing to go there and work who could be making lots more money in other places, but because of the prestige of the place, you have like a lot of people drawn there. And that was the best part of working there, working with so many really smart, amazing people and just being able to see how the sausage is made. Um, but ultimately it's a hard life. It's a really, really hard, grueling life. And my personality was not well suited. My, my uh, frankness, and inability to um, smooth and sugarcoat things did not fit well with that lifestyle. Even though those three years, my early 20s, I was there from 21 to 24, were 
amazing. Mm. I made no money, but everybody around me made no money. So we were all kicking and having fun, making no money together, but still having these amazing experiences. So that was the first thing I did. Okay. Then I went to graduate school for public policy at the University of Michigan, as I referenced earlier. I did not like Michigan. And I Mm. think it was probably more a function of where I was in life versus anything to say, anything specific to say about Michigan. And so I only stayed there for about three months and then left and came back to Chicago. And I started working with my father in his accounting firm just because I didn't have anything else to do and I needed a job. And to uh, kind of fill in my time, I began working at a restaurant. And then I went back to grad school at the University of Chicago um, and for, again, for public policy and I, I was, I just, I happened to get in at a really great restaurant. Like restaurants, you can make a lot of money. I mean, there's like restaurants, it's like, it, there's a clear demarcation. You know, you can make restaurants and make like minimum wage or you can work in restaurants and make really good money. And I ended up making more money working in the restaurant than I was making working for my father. And so I just went and did that full time. The caveat being, I hated it. Everybody's always like, oh, you worked in restaurants for so long. You know, it's like so much fun and you probably did it. And I'm always like, no, not really. I just made a lot of money. And <laughs> they gave me health insurance. <laughs> so I just, and I didn't have anything else to do. So I just stayed for a really long time. But the other part of it, what was really awesome, again, it's also, I mean, I think if you wanted to find a thread through all the things that I'm probably going to say today is the environment. Like I'm talking about the environment that, um, being at Murray exposed me to the environment that being at Whitney Young exposed me to the environment, the things I was able to do while at Emory. I worked with the most educated, interesting, great people in restaurants. Mm. Restaurant. Like that was this was like the first time where people who were so I was I mean in general in elementary school, high school college, I was around people who were pretty much like me, mm-hmm. grew up like me, had similar experiences. They were all, it was, it was not very much of a challenge to like my worldview versus when I was in the restaurant, this was the first time I was exposed to people who grew up really different than me, whose parents didn't had different values than my parents who just, we didn't have hardly anything in common besides the fact that we all ended up in the same place. And we could all smile on command and, you know, give good service. So that's what I took away most. For, I mean, that's probably what kept me in restaurants so long, quite honestly, because I hated the work. Um, but I love the people that I worked with. And, you know, and especially, I think everybody should be around actors at some point in their life. They are okay. special group of people. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, obviously like that's the cliche in working in restaurants, you know, you're around a lot of actors and I was around a lot of actors, but it was just such a really interesting coming together of people from various classes, races, uh, just experience level. I think, you know, gay, straight, all that just kind of rolled into this common purpose. We all had to execute being, you know, at a high level in a restaurant every day. So that's what kept me there so long mm. even even though the actual restaurant work i really hated mm. okay so 
you never thought about going into acting since you were around all these actors? I did my toe ah. in acting when I was little. Um, the Goodman oh. Theater here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Some kind of way, I don't know, my mother was like, you should try out for this play. And I don't know, I dazzled them. And so I got like five callbacks. I was like, for real, for real, going to be in a Goodman production. And then they made the mistake. They asked me, back to your question, Nay, they asked me to sing my favorite song. I think I sang some Prince song and you could see like, the, I mean, I'm like with the director, the producer, like I am like, it was, it's me and another girl for this part. And this is in like fifth grade or something. And so I am, I'm like right there. And then you can see like the people, like he was like, well, you know, can you sing? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. And they're like, well, sing your favorite song. And you can just see their faces change. <laughs> you sang Dirty Diana? <laughs> I don't know what I sang. I don't know what I sang. But they were like, oh, him. So like, okay. <laughs> and then that was the end of my acting career. And it never oh, happened. Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh, wow. That is still my favorite pastime, is going to uh, theater. I thought you would say acting. I was like, Nicole. I thought you were going to say singing. I'm like, wait. <laughs> no. Oof. Okay. We need a Sip and Saber talent show. That's what we need. <laughs> um... All right, so I'll, uh, you know, now I'd like to spend a little time um, for you to share with the people, like what exactly does an accountant and an auditor do? Well, I mean, when most people think of accountant, they think of taxes, and I do do taxes. I do individual and corporate and state uh, tax returns. Um, we do kind of like the record keeping you know, to get all your financial statements prepared for, most people do it on, you should do it on a monthly basis. You don't do it on a monthly basis, you should do it quarterly, but most of our clients do it yearly. So preparing financial statements. Uh, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, on the auditor side, that's been the most challenging work. Um, accounting is going through a really big uh, kind of earthquake right now where there is a dearth, a serious dearth of accounting, accountants right now. There's a super duper shortage. So lots of people are leaving the profession. People who have been doing it for a long time are older and retiring, not enough people coming into the profession. And Auditing is a specialized service. So if you mostly we deal with not for profit organizations, but also for profit and, you know, publicly traded, whatever, most people need to have a yearly uh, audit. And kind of, you know, foreshadow the foreshadowing Jeremy mentioned earlier, an audit is just pretty much to say that, like, yeah, when I give you these financial statements, these are mostly accurate, like, no, no, no financial statements are going to be like to the penny, but like, yeah, these are reasonable. These you can say represent the uh, financial position of the company. And so as an auditor, we go in and we kind of pretty much verify that what the, we don't prepare the finance statement. We go in and we say, okay, what the company has presented as their financial position is reasonable and accurate. And um, so most people who, most organizations, most nonprofit organizations that get government money have to have one every year. And that is the bulk of the audits that we do. 
So it's not really so much about finding, I mean, you can find fraud and, you know, theft and things like that kind of by during the course of an audit, but that's not really what an audit is for. An audit mm-hmm. is for saying what you've represented yourself to be is what it is. You okay. haven't made it up. Because all of the, I mean, you think about all the big financial scandals, Enron, with, you know, or uh, FTX imploding, Sam Bankman Freed and all of them, all of those were accounting scandals. All of them were them cooking the books. All of them were them misrepresenting what the actual uh, financial position of the company was, ended up being vastly different and manipulated. So what I'm hearing is they weren't actual factual. They weren't actual factual. But I mean, mm. usually, I mean, outright mm. fraud is usually less a concern <clears throat> than incompetence, honestly. That most of the time people just do it wrong versus yeah. trying to be fraudulent. So that's what, you know, we kind of, and that, and after all the machinations going from politics into restaurants mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of landing on accounting, that is what I decided. Like, I like for things, I like to know that things are right. And I feel like 85% of the time there's a, there is a right way to do most things. I know that's probably, that's my personality. And so that's kind of like a melding of those two things. I like the rules. I like being able to apply the rules across a broad situation and knowing that like, this is the right answer. Mm. That's okay. what I like about accounting, that there's, there are right answers there. I mean, there's, you can be creative about some things, but for the most part, there's a right answer and I like right answers. So that's why I'm an accountant. So I'm glad you, you went there. Um, so on a similar topic, and this isn't, you know, a financial literacy platform, but I was reading recently how little people are saving now. And it made me reflect on a conversation that we had about how ill-prepared folks are about retirement. I would say 85% of people are ill-prepared for retirement. 85% of people are going to be relying primarily on Social Security. So I would like for you to continue on that tangent and, you know, talk about, like, why is it important for people to save, save early, and um, why is it important or beneficial for um, you know, everyday folks, everyday educators to work with, you know, people such as yourself. Well, I mean, I think as a, as a population, educators usually have a pension, which is going to have them in much better position than folks. And, and that's, and that's a, a rarity these days. So there, you know, a pension is pretty much guaranteeing you a pretty high percentage of your salary in retirement. So actually educators are probably in the best boat of most folk. When it comes mm. to this, uh, but and what about everyday? Else, yeah, everybody else. For everybody else who is not an educator, who I mean, I guess educated an educator can be you know more than just a teacher, mm. but um, your, I mean, I, I mean, I'm gonna be real about it. Social Security provides you a poverty wage. Social Security is is in the end. Social Security is literally so you don't starve, and that's about it. That's about all it can take care of is, is, you know, keeping you fed and not and and giving you a little bit of way toward keeping you housed. It ain't going to cover both of those completely. So is where we start. So if you think about all the other things that you do in life beyond eating and sleeping, (laughs) 
providing you need to make a plan to provide for those things i mean i'm not talking about extravagant things like traveling or things like that but just like keeping gas in your car you know anything else beyond those basics need you need to plan and provide and to provide for yourself and then if you think about you know retirement age is like 65 and yeah oh no most people don't retire at 65 anymore but you know kind of like 70 how much are you going to be working every day so how and but then most of us aren't dying probably hopefully for another 15 years so how are you mm -hmm. going to provide for yourself for the next 15 years after you stop working every day mm. and what is it going to take to cover your food your housing your you know that's just like the existing stuff but hopefully when we're in retirement we're one we want to be thriving we want to be doing fun things we want to be doing things that we didn't get a chance to do because we were working so much before yeah so going to the continent I, right going to the continent taking a vacation i don't know spoiling your grandkids tending Something. your vegetable garden all those things you know require money and if you are not and if you if you haven't and i and i want to i want to shift the language a little bit too away from just saving to investing because saving mm. is pretty much saying you know like i'm putting just this money away you surely shouldn't have pots of money that aren't working for you. I mean, that doesn't, and investing doesn't have to be investing in the stock market. It can be just something that is giving you a return beyond, you know, a savings account. Whether it's investing in real estate, whether it's investing in the stock market, whether it's investing in another business, just some kind of thing that's going to give you a much greater return on whatever it is you are working with. Because while, you know, inflation will eventually calm down and we won't be growing at, you know, 8% like we've done for the last two or three years, things are only going to get more expensive, more expensive. So if you aren't planning, how, you know, if, you, if rent is already crazy now, you know, and if you're not planning, if you're not going to plan on a home, and I'm not saying that everybody should own a home, because that's actually not a great idea for, for everybody all the time. There's many different ways to make, you know, to put things together to make it work for yourself. But I think the point is, is that you've got to plan to put things together to make it work for yourself. You can't just expect that when you hit 65, you know, you're going to start collecting that, what, $45,000 of Social Security? And if it's that much. And then the thing about the fact that, like, Social Security is on shaking ground right now. So what exactly, even though you're going to be still paying into it for the rest of your working life, what you're actually going to get back, how much you're actually going to get back out of it is... $2. TBD. <laughs> TBD. We could, get, we could, as a country, get ourselves together and fix it and do some things differently, but... That ain't a given. So I would say beyond saving to invest, mm. saving to invest is the um, platform that I think everybody should be, you know, figuring out what the investing looks like for you, high risk, low risk, you know, how you make it work. But I think just in general, there's a, there's a, there's a general lack of planning. Mm -hmm. And in my business, I look at I can look at two individuals who've had similar professional lives in terms of like how much money they've made, but come 65, they are in vastly different positions. You know, it's kind of the rich dad, poor dad thing where, you know, they both, you know, had, I mean, I have physicians who, you know, high income earners their whole lives and the retire the two physicians in retirement doing vastly differently because they planned for retirement differently.
And usually one didn't really plan at all. They just kind of let inertia carry them through 40 years of working. And then they got to the end and realized that, that what they did was inadequate or the person who aggressively planned. And I mean, this and this is and I, I shouldn't have started with such a with an, with an income group that's at such a high level, because I also have, you know, very modest um, earners who are retiring well because they planned well. So it, it's a it, 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 you can do it at any income level. But you just have to do something. Mm. OK, so staying here right now, there is a young person walking the halls of Murray mm-hmm. or maybe they're Whitney Young, you know, aspiring to be a Dooley ghost or whatever secret society you were part of. Um, and, <laughs> you know, they like order. They like the rules to matter and they might be interested in becoming an, an, um, an auditor or an accountant and so what are some things that a young person could be doing right now to prepare to be the next Nicole Kenner? Uh, hopefully they would start it a lot earlier than I did. And I would be, they would, <laughs> that would be the first thing. <laughs> Don't switch careers in your forties. I mean, if you have, if you want to do it, but it's hard. Um, but I would say, again, it goes back to planning, like the, Becoming a CPA, of which I am on the very last stage, is a long, grueling process. You know, um, know what you're getting into. I think that happens with like, I've seen with, I mean, I'm gonna broaden your question a little bit more and make okay. it a little bit more general, where I've seen it across my friend group and like people who are you know younger than me is that people decide they want to do something, but don't really know what they're signing up for. You know, like someone said, come someone sends it, come to me and said they wanted to be a CPA. I'd be like, well, do you know that you have to do essentially a master's degree after your undergrad to have enough credits to sit? For, you don't have to have a master's degree to sit for the CPA, but you have to have enough credits where you've had a master's degree. So, if you want to be a CPA, what do you want to get that master's degree in? You know, you can you know you can do it in real estate. You can do it in so many different things. So to satisfy, so just really know what you're getting into and what it takes to get there not mm-hmm. just like i mean deciding yeah deciding that you want to do something is like the first step and great but i think i don't think people look at like steps they like steps one and two and they see step t- and they see 10 and they see the goal at the end of 10 but they don't really plan as much for three through nine and three through nine is where you is where it's complicated and where you get tripped up and where you mm-hmm. can waste money and waste time mm-hmm. so uh, know and understand where, you know, where, I mean, it is always okay. I am, I usually, I have changed careers three times. I am all for finding your fit. And if something isn't fitting, pivoting and doing something differently, but more planning, more research, more understanding is always going to be the better way to go. All righty. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, final two questions. Okay. This is for our book club section. Oh dear. I've been studying for two years. I haven't really read many books. Dang. That's okay. So in your, in your life's journey, Mm -hmm. what is the greatest book you ever read? And what is the last book that you read years ago before you started this master's program? (laughs) Um, 
Probably, I don't know. I hate to bestow honorifics like that, but probably one of the most consequential books that I've ever read, the one that stuck with me for the longest was mm-hmm. Kindred by Octavia Butler. Okay. Um, and that is genuinely not my genre. I do not do like... I'm just saying, you said two sci-fi things, so I'm just... Right. It's generally not my genre. I usually don't love fantasy. I don't love sci-fi. I don't love, like, I am very logical, super hyper-logical person. But what I do tremendously appreciate is anyone who is able to take a seemingly familiar thing, and in this case, slavery, and um, bring more nuance ask more thoughtful questions presented in a creative way. And in that book, she just brought, she just shined a new and different light on something that everyone pretty much thinks they know. You know, you have like, you, you, you everybody thinks they have an understanding of that period and what happened and why it happened and how it happened. And she just broadens it, deepens it ask different questions, makes you examine it from a different perspective. And it was just so creative. Um, mm. I love that book. Okay. That's the answer for both questions. That's that's fine if it is. Uh, here my mic. Uh, no, I'm gonna say one more. You said you said that. So that was like one of the that was one of the most consequential books I ever read. Um another one I love a good novella. I love a good novella. Um, novella is my probably my favorite brand of uh, of literature, and I'm cycling through. No, I'll, I'll stick with Kendrick. I'll stick with Kendrick for both of those. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, Kendrick, it is. Okay, so um, that's a wrap, y'all. Thank you for going on this journey with us. Oh, it was Uh-oh. really fun. Thank you guys so no, much for having thank, me. Thank this you. was a... <laughs> Didn't know what to expect, but it was great. See, there you go. <laughs> now, um, before we go, Nicole, give you opportunity. If someone is looking for you and your services, uh, where can they find you? Oh, so I work with, my name, the name of our company is Phil Belkin, F-I-E-L-B-E-L-K-E-N, the Belkin Company. We do small business and not-for-profit tax auditing and um, business planning. We I need to get a new website. So we don't currently have a website, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm also looking to I'm hiring right now. I am mm. also looking for an auditor, an auditor with experience. Um, yes, uh, would love to speak to and reach out to someone uh, okay. right now awesome. in that regard. Okay, there you go. So if you are an auditor out there, come right. on. Looking for come a fun, get... flexible there you place go. to work. There you go. Fun and flexible. Right. Not how I would have described y'all, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's a wrap. Till next time, keep teaching, keep learning, and keep loving y'all. Peace. Yeah. Right. Take care. Thank you. And that's the show. That See? was so good. Yeah. <laughs>